Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is February 19th. Andy, how we doing? Brendan, I am doing great. It's Friday. Another week. Another week in the books. Spring approaches. I'm excited. It's staying light out. I mean, the weather's brutal here. We're under an ice storm. But, uh, you know, it's just being lighter at like 536. It made me happy the other day when I realized it dawned on me. Um, yeah, it's late till like six thirty down here. It's like eighty five and sunny today. Another day, just another great day down here. <laughs> roughing it, roughing it down there. It'd be great if you didn't, you know, poke everybody else for, you know, saying their winter isn't hard enough. You know, your winter is fake, and then you fled, fled to the it's shores. A, it's the amazing swamp. to me. I had some, you know. Uh, Texans reaching out asking me if this is what real winter is like. Uh, I think it was endangered uh, species on uh, species yeah. on uh, Twitter. He said, uh, "Does it make you say fuck? Why do I live here every day?" <laughs> I go, "Yeah, that's, that's what real winter is. Except you feel that way for four to five months. It's not like four days." That's fake winners when you feel it for four or five days. But I hope everybody's doing well. It sounds like just a disaster down there in in Texas. And obviously, I think, uh, you know, us northerners are a little bit more equipped for for a real winter bout. I've been following that, like, super closely since early in the week. Yeah. I mean, they don't build homes for zero degrees. They don't build, they're not, like, justifiably not prepared for that. So, you know, the roads and municipalities. The power company probably should be, but. um, That's a whole other can of worms there. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, I feel feeling for our friends and thinking of our friends in Texas. I have an apology I got to start with oh, an apology. Man. Just Fairly apology Pancake Day has, you know, Catholic roots, origins. It's a legit one. It's not like something that's made up. Legitimate, you know, that's a relative term. But legit compared to, I don't know, national, like, you know, Siblings Day or national whatever, Taco Day. I don't know, whatever it was. Pancake Day has its origins in Shrove Tuesday, which I guess is the day before ash wednesday and everybody eats pancakes on tuesday night so when i went off about these fake days apparently this one is less fake i didn't do it i i catholic a whole catholic school my whole life sounds like you're a bad, bad catholic well, that, that could be like true too you might need to guess, uh, you might need I to did. apologize to more than the audience you might need to apologize to the man man upstairs <laughs> pope francis too papa uh i have to no. might have to write a letter too <laughs> I guess maybe I did I just don't remember it I don't know some some friends said I've never heard of it some friends oh yeah we ate pancakes every Tuesday night and we just gobbled down pancakes I don't know anyways you you 
have to no apology, but I think you gotta be riding high. I feel like you dodged a bullet with the Wentz thing. I think you gotta be really feeling good about yourself. <laughs> Not that the whatever's gonna happen next might be great, but you dodged a bullet, I think. No, you I, could get hit I by scan, a, by a scan, cannonball <laughs> coming later, but you you dodged a bullet today. I was getting battered by a friend uh friend of the program of uh, Tron Carter from No Laying Up today about what yeah. the Bears were gonna do. He he was I think he was really rooting for the Wentz to the Bears thing just to continue Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's <laughs> ineptitudes. Uh, but it didn't happen. It's it's exciting. I told them we're going to go after Mike Glenn and we're going to bring him back. <laughs> if you end up with Deshaun Watson, that will be... Uh, I'll be very happy for you. Anyway, just, We won't have any draft picks for like you know, seven years. But what's the point of having draft picks if you take these you know guys that I guess you got a tight end last time around, but you know, you I don't know. He's okay. Yeah. So. All right. Anyways, I'm happy for you. I just felt like that was going to be, I, there's only one way that was going to go. If, if Wentz ended up with the bears, maybe he rejuvenates himself with Frank Reich, but it wasn't going to happen with the bears. I know that. So happy for you. Hey, all right. little Friday whimsy. What offends you more? The notion that they're pushing on us right now. The elevated status slam? <laughs> Did you see this? <laughs> Who's won it? DJ, right? Couples. Well, no, DJ's never played Bay Hill. Okay. I don't think. He never it's like couples, Davis Love, the third. I I don't know, but they're saying that they're now counting the PGA tour is trying to your, ram your field. Home the elevated status slam. The early putter, this is the PGA Tour tweet yesterday. Fred Couples is only one of three players to win the Genesis, API, and Memorial Golf. Was never the Genesis Invitational, but Freddie won it. Ernie Els and Hale Irwin are the other two. So maybe you want to get behind this notion of an elevated status slam. You know who didn't didn't win the elevated status uh, uh, slam? (laughs) Phil. Phil never won the elevator status. Neither did Tiger, neither did Jack, neither did Arnie, neither did Sneed, Hogan, Nelson. I mean, yeah. yeah Ernie so. did, though. <laughs> Ernie did. I mean, maybe this is the sign that Ernie was the greatest player of all time because of of those three, he was... You know, this is something that a fan that doesn't know anything might take away from this, that Ernie's the best player ever. These are the three best oh, players ever. Shut up. Jesus. <laughs> I just, what are, what are we doing here? These are just picking three random tournaments. They got some designation in the last like year and a half, two years. I mean, it's just like picking the only guys to ever win the John Deere, the Sanderson. <laughs> the, like, it just doesn't, I know that they, they have some history, but this is unbelievable and, and we start doing we, this for I everything think we should wgc see. the players the, fe- the lup slam we have an elevated status slam i think we should look for you know because the opposite field you win an opposite field event you kind of are out of opposite fields i think we should yeah. look into who's who's just who's finished in the top 10 of every opposite field event i think we might find peppy peter in that i list. think you're right it's kind of that like Really just the role player, like really like the guys just filling out the roster, the end. Those are those are those guys filling out the tour. Those Oppo top ten. So anyways, what offends you more? That the tour is now pushing this? Or we got several tips, people infuriated by this. 
The Tour Championship, the ultimate prize, a crown jewel on the schedule. Season ender. Tour Championship tweeting thirstily at Adam Sandler saying they've put his name up on their locker to commemorate his Tour Championship 26 years ago, or 25 years ago. Thirstily chasing after the corner, the bonanza of impressions and views and and chase for the, the happy Gilmore. Uh, content this week. The Tour Championship doing it itself. I mean, is the Masters doing that? Is the Open Championship doing that? I don't is... have a big problem with this. You texted me about this, and I didn't. I didn't text maybe you about I'm, it. Maybe I'm a happy Gilmore apologist. It's going to, you know, uh, perturb one happy Gilmore hater on the internet that's a listener of the show, but I've watched Happy Gilmore like a hundred times. I love that movie. You know, I don't have a problem with it. They're just trying to have some fun. Think about being the social media manager for that tour championship account. <laughs> what, what do you do all year? Like, that can't be like just a job. That person's got to be working. What do you do? Years. How do you make content for the tour championship all year round? Like, that's just like, it's a thankless job. So here's something that comes up. Hey, Happy Gilmore won the okay. tour championship. I'm going to go do this. It'll all be right. fun. It's the 25th anniversary. I'm, right. I'm not going to take it out. I usually take it out on social media managers. All this right. one I'm going to give a pass to. I think I just, we got we got some people sending it to us. Like, how, this is I think the elevated status slab is absolutely absurd, though. Because <laughs> so the three guys that did it, they were elevated status events when they did it. They weren't when they did yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. The whole notion of the elevated status was so that guys would keep coming after Arnie and Jack passed on, after they left this mortal coil. That's because they were so terrified of what had happened to the Nelson, what had happened to Colonial when, like, Hogan's, you know, Hogan, maybe not official host, but his presence lording over it, that, like, these guys stopped going. So I think, I mean, it's just, it's not like, it's just the, they're pumping cash into it and then deciding to slap a label on it because they want guys still patronize. You know, it's kind of deference to Arnold and Jack, and they were terrified of what they'd seen from all the other legend events. I don't know. So the elevated status slam. There you go. Somebody told me that, like, point blank. That's all it was. They just didn't want people to stop coming to Bay Hill, right? And so yeah. they just added four or five million into the purse. What are we talking uh, about the elevated status slam for? What the, like, what, what are we doing? Riviera reactions. What do you got? Good first day. Oh, Conditioning was fantastic. Awesome, awesome day. Firm, windy. It was great. Was it Bryson windy? got Bryson got ejected. It was yeah. It was. It wasn't windy, but it was. It, it was breezy. Okay. All right. A uh, lot of commentary on how firm and fast it was already from the players. Jeff Shackelford, I saw, I woke up to a tweet from him saying there was no humidity and wind overnight that kind of would have a you know, motor in this morning. George Spieth said it's as fast and firm as he's ever seen it. You know, even playing late in the day, you could see that the greens were getting kind of that sheen, that color to them. Uh, I think still have the advantage in the morning. So it, it was really playing well. We know... You know, we know this course, the course always delivers. It's always great, right? Sometimes the weather, you know, they get popped with bad weather, but uh, it seems like this year, even more so, they've got it really humming, and, and it's really 
you know, who knows what it's like come Sunday or come Saturday even. So. Yeah, you know, all of Chicago's excited. I was ta- texting with some friends. <laughs> they see Fitzy on the board. And it just, the city just turns and it, it, they've been just getting dumped on. It snowed again today, but, sure. you know, they're turning the snow purple up there for the, for the cats. <laughs> Sam Burns is your leader. Do you have any re- other reaction to the course? I, I think I can now confidently say, you know, it's like choosing your favorite kid, but I think five is my favorite hole. Uh, we talk, I, I could say it definitively. We talked at length about that hole on this podcast last year, so we don't need to rehash it, but just watching it again today, it's so it's so great to watch them. Uh, yeah, there's so many. Ten, all that stuff. I really like 10. 15, um, too. It's a long par four. It's hard, but I love that back right flag. They, I think, I'm not sure they used it last year, but that back right flag, nobody makes birdies on. It's just like right. so hard. But then if you put it up left, a lot of people can make birdies. And I think they it's just got a really nice balance coming down the stretch. Obviously, 18 is not the hole it used to be that guys hit long irons into. It's a, uh, it's a driver wedge now. But, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 is a nice balance with that hard par 4, 15. Gettable par 3, but if you don't hit a good shot, you're looking at a bogey uh, yeah. on 16. And then par 5 and challenging that a, par par four coming down the stretch is that a true par five you were saying no. 14 at pebble <laughs> last year last week it's the only is Riv- riviera no doesn't seven. have any real par fives for the for this player but that's all probably know. because it's of the uh, data sprints. and changing strategy you know that that the there aren't any par fives it's because of the mastermind strategy 17 is stout. It's, I mean, I know it's not like a three-shotter, but it's stout, right? I mean, up the hill, the guys usually have... Every, I, mean, I think like Bryson almost has every like guy, Every thing. guy in the field can get home in two, so it's not a par five. It's I just, noticed they have a wall behind there for some reason. I, they're not Did you see the beefy, that, the beefy new nets? What, on the range? Yeah, it's like... I had to add like 30, 30 or 40 feet to it. Well, they kept painting the, the, the poles. Yeah, Faldo was just having a field day. It's like, oh no, they usually it means it's dinner time. Oh, this is the TKO here, the round one. You know, he was having fun with that. But yeah, they were those guys teeing off on two every time. He's like, ding. Well, he's um, up in his new uh, new super booth, super tower. I don't know. If they got that going on Thursday. Maybe they- the super tower. <laughs> it's in this big, the super big tower. castle. It's like a castle up there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so any other reactions? Uh, of course. It's just, I mean, it always delivers. Looks yeah, great. it's going to be yeah. awesome. I think there needs to be something that needs to be said. And I, I'm just going to put this out there about the 10th hole. Everybody okay. is not going for it. None of them are going for it. When the pin is on the right, they're just purposely hitting it left. Into the they're, grove there? Yeah, they're hitting it left, and they have a 30-yard pitch, which in essence is a layup. They are not trying to hit it at the flag. They are laying up left of it pin high. It's a layup in a way. They're hitting it over the bunker. They're not taking on. Nobody's missing right into like death. They're all hitting it way left and laying up because they all have pitches. Like three people hit the green. That doesn't mean like the entire field didn't go for the green. They all laid up left. It's just a different way to play the hole. It did get monotonous there, especially with those feature groups, like that whole Rory cohort there, that like 30 minutes. They all seem to just blast it right into that. 
you know, oh yeah and that's... pop on you know pop one on and three wood and three wood to the left that's yeah. what everybody does it's but they don't aren't going for the green there needs right. to be a distinction because they are not going for the green just because they hit it pin high doesn't mean they went for the green right they're just, when do they actually go for the green one? The pins up front, and they just try they, to maybe sneak one on. Yeah, I think that's the only one that they legitimately, you know. Then you'll start to see guys miss it right pin high. You know, today yeah. we saw like very few missed it right pin high. You know, so that's not you. Know, that's not going for it. It's a flawed statistic if you consider that going for the green. Like, uh, you know, of the what 120 guys in the field, maybe. I think like three guys missed right of the flag. So yeah. that tells me that none of them went for it. <laughs> right. All right. That's a new way to define. It's not a new. Uh, yeah. I think that's an important distinction to make a way to define it. If you went, I mean, if you landed on the green by some miracle or you're right of the hole, that means like you really went for it. If you're maybe, I mean, you if went you're for the, it. maybe, yeah, maybe you did. yeah, but all these guys are aiming 20 yards left the, of the green. Is that the smart play? I mean, it's yeah, be. because it's then you, you're play. pitching up into the slope, right? Right. I think I was... there are three birdies from guys that laid up, and there's only about four guys that laid up. Let's see Did who JT laid up. Lay up. I miss that. He says he always does. He does. Von Taylor. Okay. Kim, the the Korean sponsors exemption that had the whole yeah. one. Yeah, you got a new Genesis today. First, first time playing a professional event in America. He's had like a long career. Yeah. Alex Noren. Those were the three birdies. Justin Thomas Cooper. laid up again. He made par. Yeah. He usually does. Okay. I, oh, by the way, I'm anxious to see that Genesis CEO on uh, Sunday. See how tight the shirt is? Yeah. I mean, he's going to be in his home office with just... The, shirt off and a blazer on or something i mean who knows where is he doing a zoom interview that, that's a big drama i'm waiting for on sunday uh anything else from uh riviera i mean it's just let's talk about some of the players big names i hate that phrase big names it's just everybody uses that in golf the, the, the superstars um a few of them really got you want to go superstars what what, all, what other names do we have big names what does that mean the name itself is well is one of them one of them's size. a big guy yeah so they got they got nuked uh bryson jt rory was not as bad but again that didn't play well over par well uh, i think he, he might be struggling with the stress of his new responsibilities well, yeah, officially are. crowned a couple people texted me like Rory stinks it's like always oh, preoccupied with the pack duties heavy as the head you know he's his head's elsewhere he's thinking about all the you know the minor rules tweaks the ct machine things how he's probably got people coming up policy. and talking to him all the time too you know about complaining you know he's he got did. he opened himself up to you know comments from the peanut gallery i mean he did look perturbed there so waiting on 10 not letting the group ahead of him didn't wave him up he was waiting forever on 10 i was like well hey you're the pack chairman you might be able to just wail away and deal with the consequences <laughs> later or does or is now that he's the head of the organization can he not be sort of the cause of controversy or cause of drama maybe he's, he's got to take on a different public stand the public life you know well that's a consequence of the equipment all the slow play 
takes forever to play 10 and 11 now because you're just waiting on every shot. You got to wait for guys to finish the green on a on a par four. Then you got to go to par five and you wait on your second shot for because everybody could get home. It's a ca- they, casualty of technology. Are they playing faster or have we just had good weather? No darkness suspensions in Phoenix or here. I mean, we're only halfway through here. We just had mm-hmm. no delays, frost. Phoenix, I was shocked. I, maybe they're moving point. it a little faster. Maybe the observation list is having an impact. I, I did notice uh, Bryson, Rory, and who? Andrew Putnam were a hole ahead of uh, Brooksy and JT and whoever the third one was in that group. Oh, they finished a hole ahead. Maybe Bryson's moving, keeping him How moving. How about Putnam getting the call up into that group? I thought that was great. So, you know, regrets to Cam Champ, who's not playing because of the, you know, weather crisis, a disaster in Texas. But yeah, I didn't mind. He played the best out of them, right? He had the lowest score by, by a significant margin. So, uh, but yeah, they were a hole ahead. I wonder if that was Bryson playing with the new pack chairman. Just yeah. keeping it moving. We gotta, we gotta be a pole ahead. I don't know. He's been lobbying to get on that that council for a while now, right? He always talks about how they turn him down three years in a row. I don't think anybody wants to deal with his shit in those meetings, his harebrained ideas. So. I did that pod uh, with Al Jamison, who's the president yeah. at Cal Club, yeah. and he said that you know the best golf committee people are the people that have no interest in being on a golf committee. So anybody that wanted to be on a golf committee or a committee at his club, oh, he, yeah. he would he would be like, well, no, we don't want you. <laughs> then go find the people that least wanted to be on the committees and got them on the committee. So maybe Bryson should play a little hard to get, and then he might, you know, garner some interest from people to get on the councils. Yeah, that that's a red flag. I think it's a great. I think it's a great strategy. You know, go after the people that. Oh, that absolutely. don't, don't yeah. want anything to do with what you're yeah. doing. Get those guys on board. Yeah. Oh, you got next thing you know, this guy's coming in telling you how to paint, what color to paint the benches. And the, you know, we got to do this, that, and, you know, with strongly held opinions and think he's going to change the way things are done. Who do, so. who do you think the most apathetic tour players are? I mean, Scott Piercy on some matters, <laughs> non-political maybe. Um, He's up there, right? He doesn't care about golf. Uh, I feel DJ. like Mark Hubbard would be in there. Potentially, yeah. Potentially. DJ would be a good one. I mean, DJ just shows up and you know takes his money and gets out. Could you um, imagine DJ having a call into Zoom to talk about, you know, Peppy Peter wanting more points for the for an opposite field event? <laughs> Oh no! Sure, yeah. Someone, I think he was what, asked about the what pack. even. What even is? What, what even is the Sanderson? I what what tournament's that? I'm not familiar with that. Um, so those guys got got knocked out. The the big names. I don't know. Would you do you make anything of Bryson's performance? He's been wild as of late. I suppose I, I don't make much. Of I know he birdied two of his last three. I could see him playing well and making the cut. God, he had just like some high lofted iron in the 17. I was shocked, right? I mean, just compared to a lot of these guys having to rip it up there. Um, I feel like Patrick else? Rogers doesn't really care about 
What's going on to her very much? He might. I don't know. I think I he'd think... be a good pack guy. Okay. Okay. Danny Lee is going nuclear on different subjects. Corey Connor. I don't know. There's also Joel, Joel Damon probably doesn't want anything to do with the pack. Hoagie. Could get Hoagie involved. Maybe make Tyler Duncan interesting. Um, all right. What else? Willie Mack made five birdies. Oosthuizen. Oosthuizen would be perfect. He wouldn't do it. He just would they would they could not drag him. But he's exactly the person that we're talking about. He he wouldn't want be like I don't think this is taking me away from my farm. You'd have to kind of bribe him with free tractors. You know, (laughs) they'd corrupt him to get on just to dial in. Uh, Willie Mack, five birdies in the red. Really impressive performance. Talk about some of the, the superstars that got knocked out. He you know, really his first first PGA Tour start. Course is playing, you know, firm. He, uh, you know, he had five birdies. He gave some back, but, you know, really impressive. Um, it, is El Torres uh, in the top 20, too, uh, too? You know, non-member. He's in, in position. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's a great leaderboard. There's, I, I hope, mean, there's a lot yeah. of... Yeah, I think a, Sam Burns... I So Sam Burns has played really well. I don't... His results don't show it, but he's been in the mix the last few weeks, but he's just kind of stumbled with with rounds. I think he I did a pod with Spartan on the fried egg and I I picked him as my guy to break out after uh consulting our chief data officer, John Zakowitz. But um I think you know, the last few weeks, you know, he finished T thirty nine, T twenty two, T eighteen. But every one of those events he was like on the leaderboard on the weekend yeah. and then had kind of like tumbles down. So I think he's on the verge of playing some really good golf. There's a lot of bunching. A lot of, a lot of guys still in it. Jordan Spieth looked pretty good again. It's one know, round. What are we doing? Game. Let's, let's well, get people it. Were, people wanted us to ask. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about Bassey's shirt? I got it in the notes. That was, that was, that was freaky. So Bassey Munoz. Playing with Jordan Spieth was wearing a Flex Seal shirt, which is the duct tape thing that we were talking about that we couldn't place the name on. Just I mean, Monday I think show. We placed the name on it. We just didn't know what we were. We were going in circles on it. I, I don't know. We didn't. We How is this that. possible? How did he get a Flex Seal sponsorship? That spooked me a little bit. We playing with Spieth with this. I mean, it is the most loud sort of logo it Huge. covers half like 60 percent of the shirt kevin Nas down the chest. and uh flex seal products or something adhesive products i don't know what it's called and he's playing there with speed that that really kind of spooked me it's the exact thing we were talking about with with speed i wonder if he's a listener he went out and got a flex seal flex seal sponsorship uh, what is flex what are they doing sponsoring a golfer? Let alone some just some guy that's like gonna finish in the top fifty in the FedEx Cup might might win an opposite field fall event. What are they trying to get done? What are they trying to accomplish sponsoring a golfer? Guys gonna go out and buy extra tape, buy extra spray, whatever, because they saw Bassi Munoz's shirt? What are these marketing decisions? I don't know. I don't I don't understand it. Uh, that's it. That's all I got on uh, Riviera. Just really good for first day and 
you know, watch. It'll be just can't imagine it'll be any just keep getting better all weekend. All right, web tour. That one got suspended to darkness by darkness. Brett Coletta, George Cunningham, and Alvin Choi are current year leaders, with uh, Choi having one hold to play. Uh, Ryan Lavner had a great older profile, not not like recently. Brian Wacker wrote it up too, just about him trying to get back into professional career. You know, it was a sad story. His mother committed suicide right before he went to college. Just he's back on the web tour. He Monday qualified in this week, uh, and he's eight under through his first 17 holes back on the lead. Dan McCarthy, your guy also in the, in the mix. Hey. Uh, but yeah, just one round at the Lee com. I wonder Sun if, Coast uh, class. Nick Hardy got his clubs. Uh, did yeah, I think he did. He Tyler's. got him. Yeah. yeah he, he didn't he have did a bag. Say. Okay. Bad. I think he said he tweeted that he did or something like that. He was, he was happy about it. Hey, while we're on the subject of Monday qualifiers, Albin, Choi getting in, Mm-hmm. Remember my rant Sanjay's at the end former, of uh, caddy. Looper. Remember my rant at the end of uh, Monday about or Wednesday about like just being able to get away with stuff and my brain like why is my brain going to that now after reading how could anybody forget that? We got a note from a friend of the program who plays in some of these qualifiers, pre qualifiers, corroborating your your rant being skeptical on Monday cues is not without foundation. Having attempted to qualify for the blank tournament, I'll leave them anonymous. I don't want people tracking them down this year. I failed miserably in the prequal. I cannot, it cannot be understated from my anecdotal experience paired with otherwise very fine gentlemen whom frequent the feeder tours that the rules are applied, shall we say, cavalierly. I've been sitting on it, wanting to write about it. The qualifying course is a fiesta of water hazards, his qualifying course. And, um, and I was a firsthand witness of how little of a ball has to cross the hazard line on the far side, read none, for a drop to be actually taken 200 plus <laughs> yards away from when the ball actually last crossed the hazard line. So I guess they're getting real liberal. The speed and disregard in which the playing partners agreed and suggested with no confrontation on where the drop could be taken was mind boggling to me. Being out of my depth, this just guy who doesn't play a ton of them. I had no real room to speak up, but I was rather speechless to see the way in which the rules were, shall we say, bent and apply. And there's an utter lack of equipment testing, as you can imagine, even say club counting. It would not surprise me at all that players playing for their livelihoods at that level would be willing to stretch things to the max. I see it as analogous to the doping scandal in cycling. If you're not playing juiced equipment and bending the rules when unsupervised, then you'll be left behind. Small sample size, but it was a genuine takeaway, and I was shocked in some of the pre-qualifiers. So. There used to be this, like, uh, you know, the the old wives' tale of, like, the Vaseline on the driver. I never did it. I talked to people that did it that, like, say the ball goes nuclear far. Yeah. How would anybody ever know if you had Vaseline on the face of your driver? Nobody's going to be like, hey, let me see the f- touch to the face of your driver. Right, right. Like, it's all kinds of stuff. It's, I don't know. It's just crazy. And you wonder, I mean, one bounce here or there, careers are changed. It's just, I don't know. You don't, you don't want you don't want a cloud of skepticism being thrown over all of these guys, right? Everybody playing. That, that's just not the case. But it does seem fast and loose out there. Uh, but the big thing on the web tour, big drama was they're not playing full field. Web tour hasn't played in like five months. Guys thirsting for starts. People need getting... need money. Some of these guys need to make money. They're not playing in you know 
Abaco. They're out in Columbia. They're in Florida. Ample players, I would imagine. Web-level players near in Florida. And they don't have a full field. Because of this alternates disaster. Uh, the Truslow kid, Austin Truslow, slammed his hand in the car door this morning. A terrible break. Had to WD. So, something happened with Chris Blanks. I didn't even know he's trying. <laughs> Pulled out yesterday. He's back Andy, on Twitter. You could ask him. Oh, he's back on Twitter with some sort of illicit jokes about, you know, I don't know, marital interactions and things like that. But uh, Monday Q had a note about Andy Pope, who was first alternate, would have had the spot, had no idea he was. I was third alternate as of yesterday at 3 p.m. when I left Sarasota. Field was full, and they had two alternates on site. Chris Blanks pulled out yesterday Twitter on Twitter at 3 p.m., but somehow the tour didn't get his call till 5.30. The tour, did, did, tour then did not inform us of moving up a spot on the list. They can't answer, they, the Pope, they can't answer whose job it is to update the list. They just built a $90 million HQ, but the website can't update the list either. To clarify... We're told it's $65 million on budget, global home, not HQ, $90 million. But he might have I love, more. Uh, I love that he popped, popped him there. Pretty amazing. $90 million, That's. I mean, we were told 65 on budget. Uh, when I went to sleep, I was third alternate. I woke up to the tour calling me saying, I'm in the event at 6.50 and to be on the tee at 7.17. I think he's back like in Orlando now at this point or something. Um they mistakenly called me thinking I was ahead of Hayden Buckley, who took the spot. I then came to realize I was first alternate. I got in the car and started to drive back to Sarasota from Orlando. At 8.30, they called to tell me, you know, true slow pulled out. I couldn't be there in time, and, and no other alternates were on site. It's crushing blow. Can't tell you how upset I am. So uh, just sounds like a complete clown show in like four or five different directions, right? Whether it's with updating the alternates list, calling, not thinking it's the first alternate, when not knowing who's first alternate anymore, thinking it's Buckley. Just, I, I don't know how you're not on top of this with the first event in four or five months. Seems like they might need to allocate a few more resources to the uh, Corn Ferry Tour. And maybe, maybe. Invest in some digital stuff, you know? Maybe we could, we could make this... You know, the the world's an amazing place where there's like automated stuff, you know, and automatically people get notified when they, uh, when, you know, like we had this, like, uh, we have a, essentially in our pro shop, somebody can click a button whenever something like is open, you know, is out, sold out. They can be notified as soon as it's back in stock and we put something back in stock and we got a couple orders like right off the bat today. And I was like, how do these people even know? And then I realized they got yeah. emails yeah. because it's automated. So when somebody pulls out and you click them out in your little computer system, the person should be notified right away. It's just a bad look. And Pope, Mr. Golden T, he's from Illinois, right? He's from oh, yeah. Glenbard Glen West, uh, West, pride of Glenbard West. <laughs> So I love him popping the the HQ and the budgetary, not having the Xavier Musketeer. Yeah, big X. So, anyways, for that reason alone, him and Co-Crack. I wonder if he's a Co-Crack head like you. So that reason alone, just this is the kind of corn fairy tour stuff we absolutely love. All right, 
Let's get to uh, anything else you get on, uh, you know, shaking, moving, happenings for the first Yeah, I'm done. I'm done talking about one round. (laughs) To be fair, we're hardly talking about the golf. All right. Flashback Friday. Precision Pro. Flashback Friday. They're back for more. They will be back throughout the year. Um, Hey, I'm starting to, I'm I'm working my, 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 I've got the NX9 slope. Mm-hmm. This I've like been a, practicing. I'm a yeah, yeah. My kids love to just shoot stuff. Oh, I remember when it, over, just when this so rangefinder came out. I used to do that when I, you know, I don't oh, know yeah. when it came out, but I would just shoot stuff in my backyard all the time. They're trying to get the slope, so they're shooting people's roofs down the street, things like that. Just having a ball with it. Uh, so I'm ready for the snow to melt away. Get out on the course with that. Uh, oh, by the way, our, well, well, I always forget to say this. Our promo code is Shotgun20. We had a couple people DM today, ask for that. You get Shotgun 20 bucks 20, off. You get 20 bucks off uh, any of their laser range finders using Shotgun20. They got the slope. They got you know, your regular range finder. When you, when you buy one, you're signing up for lifetime free battery replacement services. Uh, they have, they've been around for seven years now, so they've been me, working out the kinks. Let me know? just uh, tell you some stuff about this. I they've I used kinks, I a bigger, like they probably like the most well known rangefinder for my entire life before this one. Here are just a few observations. This one is way lighter than the one that I had. Okay, which is nice when you carry your golf bag, so it's lighter. It yeah. works just as well. It actually, like, I think works, like, a little bit smoother. It's, it's clicks. It, it's really great. And, like, uh-huh. it's just, it's nice. It's a really good range finder. Good I'm a big value. fan. Yeah. Much well, that's the strong, other thing. Strong competitive value. The value is insane. It's like, right. these things shouldn't cost as much as some of them cost. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I was thinking about it. I was like, why would this cost, you know, yeah. Four or five hundred bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So So this is they're now in their fourth generation NX nine slope. It's an award running rangefinder that gives you all the golfer, you know, all the features that you need. Um, you know, and customer service. We've talked about our friend Eric the first couple of weeks doing this. If you have an issue, you can hit up Eric. They take care of you. Free battery replacement. This is what you need. Get it now as a season season of championships. Approaches the, the golf season. Approaches. Well, you get you get yours before the you know the rangefinder championship, the Bushnell rangefinder championship. What's the URL? I don't even have a URL. Do you ever use URLs? I just go to Google. I don't yeah, well, use URLs anymore. Precisionprogolf.com. Precisionprogolf.com. Precision but nobody Pro does that golf. anymore. I know. It's because so of why that. do people why are they adamant about giving it out unless you have some quirk in there? Just Google the brand. I, I think the URL thing is just dated. Shotgun twenty is the uh, we is both the have have uh, flashbacks. Who do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. You go All right. First. I used uh, I found an L.A. Times article. Um, I was texting with uh, John Zekowitz. He he mentioned that. He noticed that the uh, 1950 LA Open ended in a playoff that was finished on a had a really weird finish, and it got me investigating. Okay. So the year was 1950. Sam Snead 
was in the middle of his chase for 82. Oh, looking, yeah. <laughs> I saw... Did he yeah. know it would be a whole brand campaign? There's a hashtag entire... chase for 82 going on. A lot of graphics, sure. <laughs> and golf was without one of its biggest superstars. Less than a year earlier, Ben Hogan was involved in the now famous car crash, which almost ended his career. Uh, so, you, you know, obviously, yep. crazy car yep. crash. Broke his pelvis in two two spots. Um, he, he hadn't played a tournament uh, yet. It had been, you know, just a, about 10 months, and he had barely hit balls. But he entered Riviera because, well, it was one of the seemingly dozen or so places we call Hogan's Alley now. Yep. Uh, Hogan didn't announce he was playing this tournament until the Tuesday before the tournament. Many weren't sure how he'd fare. He himself was most worried about his stamina. I came across details of this, I think, doing the Instagram post or something. But I, I don't remember them. I'm excited mm-hmm. where this is going. I remember something crazy about this. So the tournament started on a Friday. It was like January 6th or 8th. I can't remember what the exact date. But it was Friday in January. During the... First round, the large crowd swelled around Hogan, and he requested no cameras. And if they didn't put the cameras away, he threatened he'd walk off the golf course. Because he was, he was insecure about where, where his game might be? Was, I, the I, the, there are a lot of rumor. He just, okay. he just didn't want the cameras around. You know, and there were quickly the signs put up that said no cameras during play. And then, you know, nobody was using cameras. One unidentified player, and this is from an L.A. Times article, said, no doubt his nerves are jumpy as a result of his accident and long hospital siege. But he didn't feel up to competing. He should have waited longer before attempting a comeback. I know a lot of fellows in this thing whose nerves are bad, too. Because it's bread and butter matter to them. Ben doesn't have to worry about that wolf at the door. So he's saying preferential t- treatment. Sure. For for Benny sure. here. Because he established himself as a legend. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So through Dang. two rounds, uh, Jerry Barber <laughs> is leading. All right. And a biblical rain hits the course on Sunday, like insane storm. The Barrancas were filling up. Like they were about to, they were knocking, they were going to, they were worried they were going to knock bridges out. You know, yep. Barrancas are the, the dried out riverbeds that you see, but when it rains a yep. ton, they fill up and drain the course. Um, and Barber played like unbelievable in this brutal conditions. He, he shot 73. He was in the clubhouse and he had, he was 10 shots ahead of the next closest guy. And they just decided to wipe the round out. They just said, no more. (laughs) Wiped it out. That's unbelievable. So, Golf Twitter. Can you imagine if this happened? So, So it goes back to what the second round was. And it was, he had a two shot lead. Hogan was in third, five shots back. Sneed was a couple shots behind Hogan. Um, so Hogan had gone seventy three sixty nine. Um, so you know this is—it's just nuts. This whole round right. gets called off. The right. guy's done. 
So Barber was like a good sport about it. His his quote was like, "Well, I just got to go out there tomorrow." He was like a local. Oh well, he's a local club pro too yeah. at uh, Hillcrest. Yeah. Um, so he shoots seventy two the next day, but he obviously he lost a ton of ground. So Hogan's now only two back after a 69. Jackie Burke's three back. Sneed's five back. Um, and Hogan is, like, drained because he played almost a full round the day before in just yeah. horrible conditions. He he was, you know, really worried about even being able to get through the tournament before. the. Right. So he had, he had played. So it's now Tuesday before the fourth round. He's played 11 of 12 days. So they're now playing the final round on Tuesday. Okay. Um, so Bob William, a longtime Riv member who walked with Hogan uh, every hole that week, said it was really beginning to take a toll on Ben. He was telling me his arms felt like wet noodles and he was in some kind of pain on every step. Oh. Um, he had like a little chair thing with them, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah. Right, like a little stool, like you just peg in the ground. He he try to rest on that when he could. If I'm not, I feel like I saw pictures of that. But. He goes out and shoots 69, another third straight 69, and he's sitting in the clubhouse. They, you know, obviously then they had different starting times. There were all these weird things, and he's and everybody thinks he's won. Yeah, but. Sneed's coming down the stretch, and he birdies four of his last nine, including his last two. He can't a 25-footer on 17. And then on 18, he was about to hit his putt, and a fan fell out of the tree. It caused a huge ruckus. He had to step off his ball. The, the place was going nuts because this guy fell out of a tree. <laughs> Gets back up, makes like a twelve to fifteen foot putt. <laughs> so, uh, so then this at this point the the playoff is an eighteen hole playoff. Oh my god, never ending. <laughs> so okay, it's supposed to be Wednesday, but it rains again like crazy. Oh. So it gets rained out, and the tour has to go on. The tour yeah, has to keep opener, moving, right? I mean, this is the season opener, right? Yeah. They go up to Crosby, or usually. Yeah, okay. so the tour they went up to Pebble, okay, and they played Pebble. The event's not over. They went to Pebble, played Pebble. <laughs> Sneed wins Pebble Beach, and then they drove back down to Riv. Oh, no, yes, no. no, they drove back down to Riv, and they played the eighteen-hole playoff. Oh my god. And, like, Steed won by four, beat Hogan. It wasn't even close. But the big thing was Hogan coming back after sure. this devastated crash and and almost winning this event, like, seemingly win it. The, all of America is behind Hogan now. Um, yeah. You know, he's he just endears himself because it's just this unbelievable comeback from, he's like, bad. an injury where people didn't even think he was going to be able to walk. Um yeah let alone play golf at a high level again. And, uh, and Steed wins the playoff. But the playoff happened a week after. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, they played Pebble, then came back and finished Riff. That's unbelievable. So, um, Amazing stuff. Yeah, unreal, right? Yeah, that's great. I love it.
Should I do mine? I don't even yeah. know. Should I, should I do mine? Go for All it. All right. Well, this was, we were both talking about doing this guy. I, I just, we're going to do Lloyd Mangrum. He's the only, he and McDonald Smith are the only four time winners of the LA Open. McDonald Smith did all his damage in the 20s. Mangrum did, he won three at Riv, one at uh, Rancho. And he won, I mean, you could conceivably call Riviera Mangrum's alley as opposed to Hogan's alley. I know Hogan won a U.S. Open there, but I, he also won, I think, one of his LA Opens at, at Hillcrest. So, I, I, you know, it's kind of a... Mangrum's alley. Mangrum's, Jim Murray, the legendary LA, uh, LA Times columnist, calls him the forgotten man in golf. So you know, he was from Dallas, kind of a, right? From Dallas, but he moved. So he grew up at, as a caddy at Stevens Park in Dallas. Because yeah. um, he, he like played, a, he played with Nelson and Hogan and Mangrum were all all played in some tournaments in Texas. Yeah, well, the whole thing is like he's thought of as a Texas guy with Demerit and Nelson and Hogan, but he was really kind of a Southern California kid. Like he moved like to Southern California. He was like fourteen or fifteen. Went to high school there. Like grew up caddying in L.A. Then too, um, just an amazing career. So this will be like a pen light on Mangrove, even though he's like one of the all time greats, but also L.A. Open legend. No one's won more than he has at the L.A. Open an event that's been around since the twenty six. So Mangrove, thirty six PGA Tour wins. That's a lot. Only 12 players have won more. One major, only one major, two Varden trophies, four Ryder Cups, two of which he was captain. Um, I saw LA Times characterize him as one of professional golf's big three of the 1940s and 50s, along with Hogan and Sneed, which I guess, you know, Nelson's time had kind of passed, if you want to characterize it as like the 50s, I guess, 40s. Um, 1948. He won 11 tournaments. Sneed won 10. Hogan won 9. His one major was the U.S. Open in 1946. He won the L.A. Open in 49, 51, 53, and 56. Wow. So just All at Riv. One at at Rancho. One at Rancho. Ah. Three at Riv. Yeah. but I mean, the big story of this pers- personality is called Mister Icicle, just <laughs> sort of a mean sob. Although Murray, and some of these accounts in LA tried to make him more gregarious, but he kind of had the background to uh, maybe not have the most pleasant disposition. He received two Purple Hearts during the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. Uh, just sort of an amazing war history he was on the beach the invasion of normandy oh my god jeep oh yeah he he apparently like so he got drafted i can't forget i forget if he enlisted he got drafted in the army of patents he was offered like to be a teaching pro at fort meade he goes no i'm going i want to be in it and he's on the invasion of normandy uh and his jeep overturned uh, when they stormed the beaches his arm was broken in two places so following a rehab stint, he returned to combat in the Battle of the Bulge, where 19,000 soldiers lost their lives, and he was a corporal in the infantry reconnaissance unit with George S. Patton's 3rd Army. He suffered shrapnel wounds on the knee and the chin. Oh my God. He was one of only two soldiers from his original unit to survive the war. Holy Returning shit. Returning home with the two Purple Heart medals, the four meritor- meritorious battle stars. Um, I love, I found some like golf history today. It's just ridiculous. Uh, 
character having seen battle for his country golf took on a different meaning it's like yeah (laughs) the complexities of golf are much simpler after wars like yeah maybe uh if anything could tell the sorrow on magnum mangrum's face sorry about my pronunciation mangrum it's a tough one for me uh faced in his duty is the story of a torn one dollar bill that remains in the World Golf Hall of Fame. I actually watched a video on the World Golf Hall of Fame. They showed this torn $1 bill. Before landing at Normandy, Mangrum ripped the bill in half and gave the other half to his best friend, Robert Green, with the hope the two would reunite and put it back together. Green was killed moments later, and Mangrum carried the torn bill with him every day for the rest of his life. Holy shit. Um, His quote was, I don't suppose that any of the pro and amateur golfers who were combat soldiers, Marines, or sailors will soon be able to think of a three-putt green as one of the really bad troubles in life. Uh, a little bit more from the LA Times. He was sure his golfing career was over the day he was on reconnaissance when the Jeep flipped. The doctor said, you'll be okay if you can raise your arm when the cast is taken off. And eventually he managed to raise it. Quote, not even the thrill I got from winning the Open equal to the one I got that day that I found I could lift my arm. Imagine a golfer couldn't do anything but swing like a hockey player. <laughs> so after, he did, I mentioned this, but after, it's like I can't say enough about his war history. After he got recovered the arm, he's hitting the knee by a sniper's bullet. Oh, my so God. This is, the, this is the Battle of the Bulge. I've already hit, but this is more detail on it. Hitting the knee by a sniper's bullet while picking up a wounded buddy. Uh. He laughed it off. He quote, one of our little buddies clipped me in the leg from about 300 yards while we were on reconnaissance. He must have been a lousy shot. Imagine only nicking a guy from that distance. I could have done better with a driver, with my driver and a rabbit ball. So that brought him his first Purple Heart. The second came when some shrapnel took a chunk out of his chin during action in Czechoslovakia. So, I mean, this guy was a badass. One of only two to survive. In his uh, infantry. So he comes back. So he won. He won. Like, he's still over there. 1945 GI Championship he wins in the European Theater. He wins at St. Andrews. He wins, like, a GI Championship in 1945. The World Golf Hall of Fame should count that as a major if the players is considered on. (laughs) The GI, 1945 GI Championship at St. Andrews. Ah, yeah. That was my favorite quote. The f- he found the struggles of golf more simplistic compared to war. I was like, you think, Jesus? You, you think so? So he wins that. Six months later, he gets his first major championship. First and only. 1946, U.S. Open. He won at Canterbury Golf Club in Cleveland, right. Ohio. Uh, Side of the Overclub right. Challenge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always knew his name. I didn't know much about this specific. So that was his one uh, major championship. He won it six months getting back from all this shit, hitting the chin, strapping on the knee, shot in the knee, broken arm, you know, uh, just in it. Uh, and he wins at the U.S. Open, a 36-hole playoff against Byron Nelson and Vic Gezzi. Uh, he maintained his composure in a driving rainstorm, made a seven-foot par putt on the final hole to win his only major. Uh, just an amazing, some amazing details on this major. Um, so he, he squeezed out the sheriff's 72 holes. They had to go 36 the next day. Uh, they, they tied after 18. They went to another 18 in the afternoon. He was three strokes. This is from the LA Times um, article by... Who, I want to make sure I got it. Shav Glick. Other sources were Sean Fairholm 
and uh, Global Golf Post had, an, had a good retrospective as well. But this Shav Glick. So he was three strokes behind Gezi and two behind Nelson with six holes remaining. When rain, thunder, and lightning swept the course, this is now, they're on like 100 holes. Unlike today, when lightning suspense play, they played on. Apparently just a June absolute monsoon, <laughs> lightning everywhere. Oscar Fraley, writing for the United Press, said it seemed to inspire Mangrum when the thunder began to resemble cannon fire. <laughs> what? It seemed to inspire him when the thunder resembled the cannon fire. <laughs> you know? The former corporal was just another GI again for a minute, Fraley wrote. His cream-colored sports shirt seemed to turn to khaki, and to him it no longer was a golf course. That rumble was too familiar, and it meant trouble. And that's when Mangrum looked up at the flashes, laughed, and really started to play. <laughs> I may be a little dramatic, but I don't know. Um, so he's known as Mr. Icicle. It was evident that Magnum's, Mangrum's war experience had a negative effect on him. He seldom gave interviews, never signed autographs, and he came across both competitors and observers as condescending. Sneed, this is a great story. Sneed remembers sitting with him at a restaurant once when Mangrum accidentally tripped someone walking past. When the man became upset, Mangrum picked up a sugar bowl and slammed it into the man's face, causing quite a scene. Oh my God. He tripped the guy. Guy gets upset, he slams the sugar bowl in his face. Never signs autographs, never does interviews, just this uh, Mr. Icicle. He suffered 12 heart attacks in his life. The last, <laughs> the last one killing him. At the guy age got shot, shot in the knee, uh, survived, survived an overturned, of Normandy. Yeah. overturned Jeep, shrapnel took his times. chin out. 36 PGA Tour events. 12 heart attacks. The last one killing him at age 59. He was so young. Um, had he lived another couple of decades and introduced himself to a new generation, Mangrum's legend may have grown like Hogan's or Sneed's. Rather, when Nelson walked the range at the 96 Masters, this is from Fairholme's article, asking young players if they had heard of Mangrum, not one knew of him. 96 Masters. No one had knew of him on the range. Lloyd's the best player who's been forgotten since I've been playing golf, Nelson lamented. So outside that 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 46 U.S. Open, 50, he became highly regarded for 1950 U.S. Open. In a playoff against Hogan and George Fazio in 1950, he lifted his ball from the 17th green to brush away a bug. Oh. USGA docked him two strokes. Hogan went on to win. So it would have been his second U.S. Open. Under PGA rules, which Mangrum played all year, picking up the ball was permissible. But under USGA rules, it was not. And USGA ran the Open. So Mangrum's, Mangrum's response was to ask for the rule to be read to him. When he heard it, he said, fair enough. We'll eat tomorrow no matter what happens. When reporters pressed him for more, he acknowledged he had never read the USGA rule book. Maybe Andrew Landry type. <laughs> then closed the issue by commenting, I don't know the traffic regulations of every city I get to either, but I managed to drive through without being arrested. So just uh, sort of that, that was another kind of heartbreak. Um, in addition to the sugar tons bowl, of ma tons of master close calls of masters, a million, a bunch. He had the course record that's held for forty six years too. I mean, there's, there's. I'm trying to keep it brief, but I've just got notes for days here. Um, we'll he, do he had the full, full spotlight one day. He had Augusta National course record sixty four that wouldn't be equaled for uh, forty six years. It's kind of amazing heartbreak. 
Um, 15 years but, from now, we'll have to do Lloyd Mangrum because we'll be out of players to do spotlights on. In addition to the, the sugar ball in the face, I guess he had major beef with Sarazen. Really? Sarazen hit into him once or a couple times because he was still up and coming. He goes, I turned to him and said, Mr. Sarazen, you'll probably win this tournament. I'm trying to make $100 to get out of town on. But if you play into me again, I'm going to take your effing ball or bleep bleep ball and hit it back over your bleep bleep head to Sarazen. He says this. Now let's get back to LA Open real quick. Four. This is Shav Glick. Four LA Opens, three at Riv, one at Rancho. Came against the greats of the day, Hogan Sneed and his close friend Kerry Middlecoff. Um, in '51, Mangrum chipped in from off the green to beat Henry Ransom by a shot. After his third win at Riviera in 1953, LA Times writer Charles Curtis, Curtis suggested, "Who said Riviera is Hogan's alley? Let's rename it Mangrum's Meadows." Doesn't have the same ring to it. No. Mangrum's Meadows at Riviera. Uh, Trying to even think when about... He, what about Lloyd's Lane? That could be it. I mean, Hogan, why does it have to be alliteration? Hogan's Alley isn't, right? I mean, what's the difference? Um, during a five-year stretch, That's he won question. three, finished second to Hogan, and missed the fifth because of broken shoulder that was said to have been caused by a bar fight. <laughs> Five-year stretch. Won three, finished second to Hogan, missed one because of a bar fight. Um, it, he also once wore pajamas under his golf outfit when snow fell on Riviera. Got a bunch of stuff on the uh, 46 U.S. Uh, 46, or I'm sorry, 56 LA Open, which was his last one. I'll keep it short. Um, it, I don't know. It was just like, he hadn't played in a while. He had like three broken ribs. And all of a sudden, like his swing was different. He was thought as like a singles hitter. And all of a sudden, he was like driving it, pop- popping it with Kerry Middlecoff because they thought he had changed his swing to deal with the broken ribs. Uh, uh, Jim Murray wrote the fantastic article for Herbert Warren when typical column in SI. Reading like 1956 SI gamers was pretty amusing. The, the pot was $995,000 every year. Oh, my God. Or I'm sorry for the for the season. I'm sorry, because right. it, it was the season opener and everybody was fired up. It was like we have almost a million dollars in the pot for the year, um, and, and he won again in '56 with this this rib issue that they thought they were all like beside themselves. Like this guy's supposed to be over the hill. Now he's hitting <laughs> as far as us. They thought it had to with like his his ribs adjusting his. his sweat. He's mean to everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, Mr. Icicle. Uh, so that's it. I won't read that, but uh, th- that that gamer. But that, that's Lloyd Mangrum, four-time LA Open winner, thirty-six-time winner, uh, pretty decorated soldier as well. Uh, all right, Precision Pro Flashback Friday. You got anything else you want to talk about? We should get out of here. Double flashback. Mike Wand. Mike Wand. We always put Mike Wand off. <laughs> Un- not intentionally. This is not an intentional thing. We could talk. I mean, it's evergreen. He's not going to stop being the USGA. Maybe he will. I don't think he will. The CEO. We can talk about it on Monday or something. So, all right. Everybody else is going to talk about it on Monday. You want to talk about it right now? Do five minutes on it. I don't know. Everybody seemed to think it was coming. He's a master. Yeah. Near unanimous approval. Everybody seems to think he's awesome. He's great at what he does. Not without, you know, cause or foundation. He, He is. Um, people seem fired up. I didn't anything, realize. Are you worried about anything? I mean, he comes from the pro game. 
comes from the pro side of golf where he was against uh, rollback a minute ago. Apparently he was very much, he said, everybody knows distance is a problem in his, his, uh, his phone call, his teleconference the other day, which is like a quick reversal from the LPGA stance. Um, I, I didn't realize, I didn't know his whole history and equipment. He was like marketing for TaylorMade and Wilson, and um, maybe that's good. That might be a good thing for this, what's coming, but I, I don't know, because it caused concern. But I, I don't know where you, there's not like a, there's not like a, a farm league where you can pluck these people from, right? Where, where like they're going to come from various walks of life. I wish there was some their options that weren't coming from the pro game side. I think we give all these like CEOs and leaders of organizations a little too much run. This one, you know, had a hashtag and everything, USGA CEO and stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I think he'll probably be a strong voice for a time that's going to be contentious is what I would say. What do you think? Do you have misgivings or concerns? Or? No, I, I think, I, you know, he uh, he's an energetic dude. I think he's done a great job it, it, with what he did with the LPGA. You know that he one of the things that he did really well was unify a team and get everybody on that tour working in the same direction and working hard around a vision and what they wanted to achieve. You know, that's the only way that would work, you know, the way it did. So obviously he's a tremendous leader um, and I think that's great. And I think that will, I think it's going to help the USGA um, in a big way, just like public facing. I think he's just so much different than Mike Davis in terms of a public facing figure. And this is no, this is not a shot at Mike Davis. Mike Davis is like a total golf nerd. And I love that. Like he's a guy that loves classic golf courses and, you know, thinks about golf all the time. Like Mike Wan's like an energetic guy that in front of the camera is going to get people pumped up and is going to, you know, he's got like a good energy about him, which is going to do the USGA a lot of good in the public eye. Um, so I think that those are all big positives. Um, you know, where, Obviously, like the equipment stuff is is where it is one of the big things going on in the game, and obviously with his background and what he said in the past, like yeah, that that's concerning. The other thing is like I don't think he has any real care or real interest in golf courses. Um, it was very true, like you know, it was evident to me when I asked him in a podcast about golf courses in the LPGA and he looked at me kind of like I was like had three heads like you know why would we talk about the, the venues but you know the reality is the USGA has their venues picked for 10 years in advance yeah. and I don't I but I would like to see one of the things I'd love to see the USGA do more of is is support of like you know some potentially like doing some restorations of munis and stuff like that I don't know if that's their but that would be cool for them to do. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if he's the leader that's going to really push that thing to get done. So, right. but like that, those would be the two things I get worried about. Just like, I don't think he's really into golf courses as much as, you know, he's into the I mean, pro game. Even though they're picked for the next 10 years, he will be at the helm for picking the one that's eight, nine, 10, 11 years out. I mean, as we saw, yeah. Recently, with the Vavacqua picked, you know, Trump Edminster, which became a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's like you may not be around, 
but you you can have your you know finger on the button when you pick something exactly it's like i mean tory pines there's reasons that's good like it's a municipal course but i really don't want to see it on the calendar anymore and i guarantee if you're not really into golf course you go to tory pines oh yeah this is awesome let's let's get this on on the schedule again and there's the infrastructure and there's the what what can this do from a you know, monetization and yeah, monetization. <laughs> like, and I, I think that's a big thing. Like, you know, the job description had like, which was really interesting, you know, for a nonprofit, like how heavy it was. And if you read the job description and monetization, which I think he's going to do exceptionally well. Sure. So he's awesome if that, that's something that they really think is an essential part of the USGA, like he's going to be a, a great leader. Cause he's really good at that at the, at the LPGA. And the thing with the USGA is like, I mean, it's the United States, it, it covers millions of golfers, right? But of course, the, there's an undue influence from the 0.001% of professionals. But also, so much of the funding comes from that TV contract, right? For professional mm-hmm. golf. which they, So it's like, that's a constant balance. Like it's such a small part of their constituents or, or who they're kind of governing with a massive influence, but also a, they, they're kind of filling the coffers too, right? I, I mean, the, those championships or that, you know, the, the women's open and the open, just, it, it's a balance for sure. And hey, that's going to be the fight initially right here is with the equipment. I hate to jump back, but uh-huh. I got an off topic question for you. Okay. What do you think Lloyd Magrum think, would think of Bob Parsons in PXG? I think he would effing hate him. He'd be a showman. He's like, what is this guy? Keep his head down. He wants to be in every commercial. He wants shouting at everybody. The troops. He Mr. is the real troop. Mr. Icicle didn't do any, any interviews. Didn't do any commercials. I guess he always, I didn't notice, he always had a cigarette. All times. All times. Putting, driving, swinging, walking, dressing, warming up, cigarette dangling from his lip. I think Wonder he would why hate he had Bob Parsons. Heart attacks. <laughs> I think he'd hate Bob Parsons. Probably, he'd think he was a little too uh, showboaty. You know, take your take your wounds. Take I don't know. I, maybe he would like. Maybe he would appreciate him as a fellow veteran. Maybe he would. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Mister Icicle took a different different approach when he came back. Um, all right. Anything else? Good. Nothing else. Good. Long Friday episode. Precision Pro. Flashback Friday. That'll do it. Shotgun 20. Gets you $20 off. Everyone enjoy your weekends. We'll be back Monday. Enjoy fantastic week of golf at uh, Riviera. (laughs) 